Hey, Cloudcast community, listen up. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform. Datadog was built to bring clarity to complex dynamic applications, whether they're in the cloud, on-prem, in containers, or wherever you run your applications. With powerful dashboards, seamless integrations, and more than 250 technologies they can monitor, Datadog has you covered. Whether it's AWS, Azure, or Google services, your popular open source projects and products, or web security and APIs, Datadog can help you monitor them and help you collaborate around troubleshooting them and make sure they're running great. Datadog provides deep end-to-end visibility into the health and performance of modern applications. So try it yourself. Get yourself a free 14-day trial. Go to datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to try out your free 14-day trial. And if you try it out, let them know your friends at Cloudcast sent you, and they'll send you a great, uh, wonderful, soft, awesome t-shirt with the Datadog logo on it. I wear mine all the time. So once again, that's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Thanks for listening, and here comes the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, it's been an interesting week uh, in terms of the tech news, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but uh, good to have everybody back this week. Uh, we are still kicking into spring. The weather's getting better. My voice probably sounds a little hoarse because it is incredibly polleny here in Raleigh, but uh, hopefully that goes away soon. Um, anyways, let's get to the news of the week, the cloud news of the week. Um, the first news of the week is that Chef, who has for a very long time been, you know, extremely well known in the automation space and so forth, uh, you know, kind of one of the really early pioneers in the automation space that now kind of gets talked about as, you know, Chef Puppet, Ansible, and Salt, um, you know, with a lot of the changes happening in uh, open source licensing that's going on with a lot of companies, with some of the cloud providers getting involved with it, um, Chef's founder, uh, Adam Jacobs, uh, has always been very adamant about the importance of open source. And so there was a big announcement this week. Uh, Chef has announced that all of its software will be open source, uh, no longer uh, having any sort of open core uh, part of what they do. Uh, obviously, there's still some nuances in terms of um, how the licensing works uh, for things like trademarks and so forth. But, um, you know, I think this is probably a topic that we're going to have to dig into uh, fairly soon, kind of this interaction between open source uh, licensing, um, open source, uh, you know, companies that are building on top of open source technologies, uh, you know, what they're doing. We're seeing a lot of different options that that companies are are moving into, whether it's, uh, you know, open core, whether it's changing their licensing to sort of prevent, ultimately, uh, you know, the big cloud providers from from trying to, uh, you know, take their technology, um, you know, legally, but but take over a lot of their business and so forth. So definitely a topic we're going to want to dig into. And there are different lots of different points of view. So, um, you know, big, uh, big announcement from Chef around that space. Second thing was, uh, this is probably about a week old, so uh, if you've heard it, apologies. Uh, Microsoft announced Azure Stack HCI. So Microsoft has for a very long time had Azure Stack, which is kind of their on-premise version of services from the Azure cloud trying to represent those. Um, This is kind of a a variation on that. I think this is really... Um, Azure or Microsoft trying to realize that, you know, within the data center space, there is still a lot of growth around HCI. So this is sort of positioned as 
you know, more for uh, VM-centric workloads, uh, Hyper-V type of workloads, uh, but in an HCI type of form factor. So interesting to see Microsoft getting into the HCI space that obviously people like, uh, you know, Nutanix and VMware and Net- NetApp and, and lots of others are, are in that space today. Um, and then there was a number of things that were announced. Uh, Aqua Security, who is a, a Cloudcast alum, was on last year, uh, took a $62 million round of funding. Uh, Portworks, who is a uh, storage company around the Kubernetes and container space, took a $27 million round of funding. So it's good to see uh, healthy investment continue uh, around the Kubernetes space um, for both those companies. And there have been a few others um, here recently. And then I wanted to highlight a couple of articles that I thought were sort of interesting on topics that we will probably cover at some point. Um, the new stack had a very good article uh, called The Rise of Progressive Delivery for System Resilience. And, and this really kind of spun out of um, a, a concept that James Governor from Red Monk has been you know, beginning to talk about. I know I talked with him uh, sort of in November of last year about it. And we, we kind of got into CICD and it was really the, you know, well, what do you do? You know, does there need to be a different sort of thinking around companies that aren't, uh, you know, doing the 10 deploy, 100 deploy a day, um, but are doing some sort of evolutionary um, advancements with their software on a a regular basis? So James is now talking about this kind of concept of progressive delivery. Uh, So good article there. there was a good article uh, in Crunch from Crunchbase looking at the uh, top 101 uh, SaaS companies, their CEOs and salaries and stuff. So if you're curious about those things, uh, lots of uh, things about what salary looks like and other compensations look like for uh, the SaaS companies. Um, you know, obviously we talked to Anil uh, a couple weeks ago about what the SaaS business model looks like. So you know, good for for reference for people looking at that. And then finally, there was a, a nice article that was written. Uh, it was in uh, it was in Forbes, um, and it really was looking at kind of the disconnect between what's being taught in the business schools today, uh, the MBA programs, and kind of how technology has evolved. So for example, if you're, uh, you know, in finance, you know, how much is, is analytics and predictive and AI stuff being taught? If you're in marketing, uh, you know, is it still sort of the old, um, you know, four P's types of things? Or is it really more about the new ways that people are doing marketing and so forth? So, you know, kind of a nice intersection between uh, what's being taught in business schools and or, or not being taught in business schools, uh, you know, and really the evolution of, of technology and and the things that have been learned from from startup companies, uh, companies that are growing very quickly, companies that are leveraging new mediums to to get their products and services to market. So, um, you know, again, a couple of announcements, uh, a couple of really good articles for people to start thinking about things that are evolving. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank our sponsors for this week, both uh, Datadog and MongoDB. And with that, we're going to get to our guest. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of, of engineering career paths. We've talked about other career paths. We're going to talk about that real quick coming up next. Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by MongoDB. As a software engineer, chances are you've crossed paths with MongoDB at some point, whether you're building an app for millions of users or just figuring out a side hustle or a new project. As the most popular non-relational database, MongoDB is intuitive and incredibly easy for development teams to use. Now, with MongoDB Atlas, you can take advantage of MongoDB's flexible document data model as a fully automated cloud service. MongoDB Atlas handles all the costly database operations and admin tasks that you'd rather not spend time on, like security, high availability, data recovery, monitoring, and elastic scaling. So go try MongoDB Atlas today. You can visit mongodb.com cloudcast to learn more. And we're back. It is good to be back with everybody this week. You know, one of the topics that 
always comes up, uh, especially between Aaron and I, um, because a lot of the people that, that we know through the industry maybe are on the sales and marketing side of, of technology companies or, or, you know, within their company. Um, you know, it's always about, you know, what do I do next in my career? What are the things that I should align to, whether it's personal growth or technology alignment or, uh, you know, a new title or whatever that might be? Well, one of the things that we haven't really ever explored in a lot of depth, and we've always wanted to, is what does this look like on more of the engineering side, the technology side of uh, you know our industry, whether it's at a company that is considered sort of a vendor or a, or a public service, or you know on the IT side of things, more from the engineering side of things. And so, very very excited today to kind of dive in, dive into that, dig into a little bit more. Uh, today's guest is Uma Chingundi, who is engineering manager at Stripe. Uma, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, very excited to have you on today. Um, why don't you? Why don't we start with some basic things? Let's talk a little about your background. Um, you know, things that you've done in the past, and and really what brought you to Stripe, and, and maybe some of the interesting things that you work on at Stripe. Sure, sure. Um, I'll start. I started my career uh, in engineering uh, way back when. Uh, I actually started uh, my career as in working in India. And then I moved to the U.S. for graduate studies. And I've always had like a lifelong kind of, uh, I guess, love for like more complicated systems and puzzles. And so that drew me to systems overall. Uh, and I did a lot of, I took a lot of uh, courses in operating systems, file systems, storage, uh, distributed systems. And so I started as an engineer at VMware. Uh, this was back in 2008. And I, I worked on uh, many cool products there. I spent a while as an IC, uh, and then I became a manager later for the team that I actually was an IC on. And I was a manager at VMware for a while. Uh, I then explored a startup for a couple of years as an engineering manager, and now I'm at Stripe, uh, also managing a group of teams. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I heard an interesting uh, sort of tidbit the other day. Somebody mentioned, uh, you know, between AWS and Stripe, if those two companies didn't exist, you know, you wouldn't have 60, 70, 80 percent of the startups that are out there doing interesting things. For anybody that doesn't know who Stripe is, um, give us a real quick uh, overview of the company. Sure. Uh, the mission of our company is actually like a really uh, good place to start. Our mission is increasing the GDP of the Internet. And where we started was actually enabling payments. So if you are a company that wants to uh, be online and wants to accept payments on the web, Stripe is the place that makes it seamless and easy for you. We essentially provide a API that allows you to essentially plug in and start accepting money. And we are, if, if you are in the US, you have probably had a transaction on Stripe because uh, we are built into so many various things. Right. And you you manage essentially the compute team, a lot of the infrastructure team for Stripe, right? Yes, yes, uh, I do that. So uh, what that actually means for people that are less familiar with the kind of the, the inner workings uh, of, of Stripe is I'm actually on the infrastructure team. So uh, most SaaS companies will have a team like mine. I'm, I'm one of the sub teams within the larger foundation group. That's the that's what our infrastructure team is called. And compute is essentially kind of as the name describes the compute of Stripe. Uh, we are essentially providing secure, reliable infrastructure uh, for the rest of Stripe. Right, right. Yeah, obviously 
really important fundamental building blocks for, like you said, not only Stripe as a company, but because of the importance of Stripe's service and, and like you said, growing the GDP of, of the internet, uh, a foundational building block for sort of online transactions. So very, very important stuff. Um, <clears throat> like I mentioned in the in the intro, you know, we've we've dug in at various points in times with people that are going through transitions in their career. Um, you have a chance here coming up in, in June or July at the Velocity Conference to talk about some of your thought process, uh, both as an individual contributor and as a manager of, you know, how do people think about career changes, career advancement, whether that's, uh, you know, maybe upward or horizontal. Um, can you can we start? Let, let's talk a little bit about kind of the framework, the way that you think about, um, you know, people's engineering career, uh, either getting in as an IC, advancing as an engineer, um, you know, kind of how do you frame the discussion that you tend to have around this? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start with some background, which is a lot of like where I am is kind of as an as kind of like looking backwards, as in I was actually never someone who very consciously thought about career ladders beyond like the very kind of straight and narrow as in like, you know, I am a junior, I see I need to kind of, you know, become like a more senior one, grow my skill set. And then I was given the opportunity to try out being a manager. And so I took that and I've kind of done that. So a lot of what I've actually, and it's only in the last few years, what has actually prompted this kind of a lot more thought from my end has actually been uh, as an engineering manager, supporting other people and helping them kind of navigate their career ladders. One of the things that drew me to engineering management originally was that I really enjoy mentoring folks. I, I help uh, watching other people grow in their careers. And it was kind of in the pursuit of that that I've, I've kind of a little bit like taken, as I describe it, my debugging skills and kind of tried to debug career paths a little bit. The way I frame it is that your typical career ladder at an engineering company is just the beginning and it should actually be like the beginning of where you start thinking versus the boundaries of, of where you think. So that should be kind of like the the basis of where you actually start exploring. But most of your like thinking about your career should actually be far beyond that because the career ladders are things that uh, are very narrow and they're like very focused and uh, are essentially an attempt to provide structure within a company. But it from the perspective of someone who's building out your career, you actually should use that as a guideline versus uh, as the kind of like the parameters of your search. Uh, so one of the things I like to think about is uh, thinking ahead. Like the way I frame it to folks is that I support is like, where do you want to be and what are your goals? And then how can I as a manager help you support those? And so you kind of have to, you have to know what, where you want to be and then try to actually fit your career ladder and the opportunities within your organization to meet those long-term goals. And one way of thinking about that is actually like uh, beyond the standard promotion track because the standard promotion track is is quite can be quite restrictive and is also like I think of it as being more short-term. As an example, uh, if you are an individual contributor but maybe you're thinking of management as a longer-term career goal, there are so many things that you can actually start building on without ever having to have the role of a manager. Uh, you can build your people skills, you build ment mentoring, uh, you build planning, you build strategic thinking. And all of these are actually like very accessible as engineers uh, and will only help you be a better manager. And I think there's also just this really interesting concept of going back and forth between different ladders. And so you should, 
I always encourage people to actually think of these as think of your career as kind of like somewhere where you want to go, but you're kind of like gathering tools along the way that will help you get there versus a straight ladder that you have to go straight up. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think I think there's some really important points that you highlight in there. Uh, you know, a couple of them that that I've had a chance to do as I was managing people, and I, and I think one of the first things that I I often see with people that are individual contributors who are you know thinking about their future, um, you know, they they'll come to you and they'll say things like, "Well, you know, I, I I want to advance, whatever advancing means." And in a lot of cases, they go, "I don't really know what else is out there." Right? They know maybe what the next step in their path is. Like you said, linearly, they go from being junior to you know inter- intermediate or junior to senior. Um, do you find yourself sometimes saying, well, let me expose you to at least parts of some of those other types of jobs so that you get a, a view of what they look like? Is that something that you, you've, you found is useful? Yes, yes. I actually do that. Uh, I, talk, I, I encourage them like either to uh, – it depends on the degree to which they're interested in. As an example, like you know, uh, the, the most common question I often get asked is like, what is it like being a manager? And I feel like well equipped to answer that, and so I like talk through my experience. Uh, in cases where I'm not as well equipped, I actually like encourage people to to go talk to people that are in in that position. And uh, something that I I think I really wish more companies did off that Stripe does really well is rotations. So actually allowing people to do many rotations in different parts of the company, and this can be not just in a in an engineering team, you can actually do these across a variety of roles. So I think that's actually like a really powerful way for people to experience different opportunities and think about what that might mean for them. Uh, in, in, in kind of like the past, like I've had uh, folks that have expressed an interest in like, you know, a product management that comes up often, engineering management that comes up often. So I really, uh, I really help. I, I see my job as facilitating that conversation versus like, uh, giving them like a set of guidelines. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really, I think that's valuable. I think it's a good thing um, to to not necessarily kind of, the word word isn't force it, but sort of let them, you know, introduce them, make an opening for them to go see what's there, but then let them go experience it through their eyes. Uh, I think that's like what you said is is really important because your experience uh, versus their experience or their expectation could be very, very different. Um, I, the other thing that I thought you mentioned um, just a few minutes ago that, that I think is really important is this idea that these ladders that we lay out for various career paths, people don't always have to stay on one ladder. They may, they may choose to, to move up one ladder. It, it could be uh, you know, in, in an individual contributor path. It could be in an engineering path. It could be, like you said, they move over to product management. But I, I think it's important for people to realize that sometimes – you go down one of these other paths and you realize like, oh, I really miss some part of that other thing. And, and people do come back. They, they move from, say, engineering to product management and, and they're capable of doing that because they learn some of those other skills that you mentioned, whether it's people skills or, or project uh, timing skills and so forth. Yes, I, I, I strongly believe in that. And I, something that I use uh, as a kind of starting point to discuss this is often it, it's well accepted and almost like, you know, it is a default that most engineering managers have spent some time being engineers themselves. Like that's almost like a prerequisite. I've right. actually rarely met an engineering manager who has not been an IC at some point. And the same goes for like, you know, all various other disciplines, like wherever you are, like further high 
kind of like in in the in the hierarchy you kind of started off the expectation that you started off being an individual contributor there so we expect this kind of journey to go in one direction but there seems to be less of a precedent in the other direction and i think that's where i i feel that there's actually a lot more to explore which is something that struck me when i was uh, still early in my management career was how much of a better engineer i could have been if i'd actually experienced my managers uh, experience a little more because i could see f- i could see the situation from her eyes once i was a manager and i appreciated her her kind of uh, viewpoint far more and i think some of the best engineers i have worked with have spent time in like multiple roles and that just gives them a much broader perspective and this also applies to like different parts of the stack uh, as an example like you know i think uh, it it's people that have had like different areas of expertise it essentially like you know you, you may have been an infrastructure engineer and it's really valuable to actually be a product engineer and experience experience what our users are going through and vice versa for you for a more product or user facing engineer engineer to actually like experience what what infrastructure looks like those tend to be like give very valuable perspectives yeah no i <clears throat> i very much agree with that i think uh there there are now so many aspects of of where engineering gets involved in in pieces pieces in the business whether it's you know your your sort of experience with customers uh, you know kind of user experience things whether it's you know back end scaling whether it's trying to help translate between some business requirements and what's technically possible. So yeah, I think that's a, a really valuable insight you pointed out is that, that there are so many disciplines within engineering. It's useful to, to cross pollinate those types of things. Um, one of the things that I, I'm sure you run into at, at Stripe, uh, obviously you've worked at some other companies that are very dynamic companies. Um, there's a lot of new technologies that are coming along. Uh, what t- sometimes feels like more rapidly than before. And, Sometimes, you know, those of us that are maybe like creating the technologies or, or marketing the technologies, we just go, hey, people that are going to use this, just start using it. And we forget the learning curve that it takes to to learn new things. You've got to find time away from what you do. How do you think about keeping your people up to speed and giving them opportunities to, to train and learn new things? Or, you know, is there, do you have a kind of a cultural perspective on that or a, a thought process in terms of, of how you want to help your people keep up to speed on, you know, what they do today, but also new things? I think uh, that that's a really good question. And I think uh, the best way that I've seen is actually making sure that uh, your teams are healthy and functioning in a way that they actually have the space to explore other things so in an in an ideal world you're actually like you're operating in a way where your team is not so swamped that they don't that they have like no uh, extra time to kind of you know go explore things and that that kind of you know gives you this little over like extra time to go investigate new technologies and like you know learn a little more you want to create that culture where you encourage that and you kind of like create a culture of more like continuous learning and more importantly uh, also create some space in the team that's kind of like valued to share that and i think there's like uh, many different formats in which this can be done like you can do it via explicit time that you set aside for the team where uh, you give them time to go and explore things you can do it by having time for sharing purely that's something that uh, we do a lot of at stripe personally like my team likes to do what they call team learning sessions uh, we also do a series of uh, tech talks where people the, the goal is essentially to share 
what you have learned with the rest of the team. And I think probably like the most important aspect here is actually making sure that you, what you are also working on isn't like getting stale. So kind of actually continuously updating your, what your stack looks like at a sustainable pace. So, so you do to a degree actually want to have some amount of adoption of that new technology in whatever you're working on to the degree that your your infrastructure can support it. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that. I like that you identify it as not something that should be separate from what they do, sort of a, a parallel path of what they do, but but make it part of of their regular day to day thing, right? They have to sort of allocate some time to learning, but also you know you're you're kind of actively trying to bring new things into the stuff that will be their day to day work into your core architecture, yep. so that you're you know you're learning all the time, keep them interested, and so forth. Um, yep. no, I think that's that's a great perspective on that. Yep. And I think just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, it's something that I've actually like feel strongly is actually required to create like a healthy workplace that actually uh, attracts new people. Because one of, one of the dangers that I've actually noticed at places that kind of are larger and tend to become more static is that if, you, if you're using outdated tools and technology, after a while, you'll actually lose the ability to attract people to come work there. Because people want to work on things that are easy to use. And they, they want to use more up-to-date technology. It, it's like nothing frustrates engineers more than working a set of outdated tools. Right, right. Yeah, they, they, they want to work smartly. They, do, they don't want to feel like they're wasting their time. Um, I want to I shift gears a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, I, I, I notice, you know, if I look at like your Twitter bio, for example, you, you very prominently uh, identify, you know, engineer, mom, mother. Um, and, you know, for somebody who, uh, I have, I have daughters, my wife is in the workplace. I understand from, from colleagues and so forth, uh, you know, the requirements or the demands of motherhood and on, and on women is different sometimes than, than the men on your team. How do you think, uh, about balancing that kind of, you, you obviously would have a different perspective than I would have, um, in terms of having empathy towards a kind of a broader set of diversity in your team. How do you, how do you try and bring together both the strengths of a, of a diverse team, uh, especially, you know, having the perspectives that you have, but also, you know, bringing the, the creativity and the different viewpoints uh, together by, by having that diverse team, by having, uh, a, you know, a good, healthy mix of, of men and women uh, and so forth in your team? Uh, this, is a, this is a really good question. And I think uh, to start with, I, I think uh, – one, I think I do have it like easier than a lot of people uh, would imagine. One is I have a lot of support. Uh, I have I have one child and she's five. And then as, as all parents know, she, they kind of tend to get much easier once you're past the infant stage. So just just with that, I, I guess I just kind of wanted to share that it, I, I, I no longer feel like I am having to balance as much as like I, I have or, or maybe just that I've like really gotten used to it. So uh, with that, I think other things is the reason I, for instance, put that in my Twitter bio was actually uh, to kind of share and like a big part, big kind of, you know, part of me, because that's an important part of me. Mm-hmm. And I feel that one of the most useful things that people that are more senior or like are in leadership positions can do is actually model the behavior that you want. So I'm never shy about talking about my child or mentioning that I need to leave work early to pick her up from school or that I need to take the day off. Uh, because she's sick or or 
similar things. I, I have, I've actually jokingly described uh, it as, you know, being on the parent on call. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's quite literally what it is, right? Like you, you're you the primary and you're like, you get paged and so you have to drop everything you're doing and go pick up your kid because that's what needs to happen if they're sick. And I think just like uh, being very open about it uh, really helps. I find that my workplace is very supportive. Uh, and I think that something that I have also emphasized to other people and particularly like uh, anyone that's kind of an underrepresented person is that it's rare to find a workplace that's healthy in all dimensions, but then it's like particularly bad only on like inclusivity or like some sort of like, you know, health indicator. A place that is kind of generally healthy and supportive and inclusive will like by necessity have to be good in multiple dimensions. And if you have, it's rare to find a workplace that's like very well functioning in all dimensions, but then happens to be like terrible for like one set of people. It's it just like the people that make unhealthy work environments tend to do that for multiple, multiple groups of people. And so when you're like, it's, it's actually in the interest of everyone to kind of, you know, create that. So uh, something that kind of I, I talk about is that the reason it's actually so easy uh, for me in my current workplace is that we're a very distributed team. And so people are in many different time zones. So we're all like, by we're all very attuned to having kind of, you know, a high regard for like, you know, that it might not be the best time for someone to respond immediately to something or that because it might literally be like, you know, midnight in the UK, which is where someone on my team actually lives. So that, that I think has created like a very uh, understanding and very collaborative culture. And I think always thinking about this through multiple lenses is, is what actually I find to be the most useful. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great insight. I, I think the, the, what I think is so powerful and you, you sort of highlighted this is um, it's, it's really important to not only that, that you make, um, you know, that that's kind of the duality of what you do, right? The importance of work, the importance of family visible, right? You, you let everybody know on your team that, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be as good as I can when I'm here, but when I need to be there for my family, or like you said, you're, you know, a mom on call, um, you make that visible. And I, and I think that's really important because what it does is it lets other people know that, hey, there are things that are just as important as what we do in our in our job, and you can feel comfortable saying, "Hey, I, I have this thing I have to do. Um, you know, can I make sure that I get there? You know, I want to be at my my child's event, or you know, I'm, I'm just going to have some things at times that are have to be higher priority." And I I think when managers make that visible, when they they don't make it sort of a taboo to talk about, or they don't make it uncomfortable, um, it does allow people to you know to find that right balance for themselves. And I think you know you highlighting it. Um, whether it's in small ways or in big ways, I'm, I'm sure gives your team a sense of like, oh, great, we can we can find what's the best thing for us to collectively work together, achieve our goals, but also you know find the right balance with our family and uh, you know do things outside of work. Yeah, and I just want to point out that you don't have to like be a parent or be in one of the kind of groups to model this behavior. Yeah, one of the reasons like I appreciate where I work is that I find that everyone that I work with actually models this behavior irrespective of like what their commitments are like having a healthy kind of boundary setting is is kind of like is good behavior that just like helps everyone and i i really appreciate the fact that all my colleagues do this yeah no that that's good that's good to point out um 
Let me ask you. Let me ask you one last question because yeah. uh, we, we've talked a lot about sort of the, the people and culture side of things. Um, you know, like, like we mentioned, Stripe is doing very interesting things, web scale types of things. Um, you're still an engineering manager. You you have some passions around the technology. What are some of the technologies that that you're either exploring or things that you get to work on today that that get you really excited uh, about being at work or or about learning new things? Uh, I think the list is like uh, quite long, actually, and it's and I think one of the most interesting things for me has actually been uh, by working at Stripe. I've actually taken a pretty uh, a kind of like detour from where I used to work previously. So honestly, like pretty much everything that I work on has been really interesting to me. Uh, like for for since I talked about it a bit before, like you know, for folks that aren't familiar, like VMware kind of like produces software for data centers versus at Stripe, we run uh, very much like SaaS style and we're a f- full SaaS product. And we uh, we heavily use like cloud providers where we heavily use lots of open source technology. So I, I'm learning a lot just, uh, and everything here is actually new and exciting. I think what, what I think find is interesting, particularly about Stripe is right now, that's kind of really exciting for me is just our huge focus on launching in new countries. And before I joined Stripe, I would not have imagined uh, the amount of work and the amount of thought and the amount of uh, kind of like technical challenges there are with like launching something that's essentially like a payments product in multiple countries. And it's really interesting, uh, all the technical challenges there that are to be solved as an example. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're expanding in many different countries and there's many different regulations uh, in Asia that are different from the ones that are like in Europe. And it's really interesting how you can actually solve those from a technical standpoint versus uh, things that we typically think of as being like regulations. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine that, like you said, moving from a company that, you know, say like VMware, where you, you're only thinking about infrastructure to a company that has to think about about finance, financial regulations, markets, um, it, it's going to expand your your thought process and, and expand your horizon in terms of, you know, I have to go learn those things and then I have to translate them back to how we can make them really interesting from a technology perspective. Well, listen, Uma, thank you so much. This has been, this is for me, it's been very, very interesting. I, I love kind of getting different perspectives from people who are, uh, you know, working in different areas, people that are successfully doing new things. So thank you so much for the time today. I've really ex- uh, enjoyed the conversation. Um, if anybody wanted to to reach out to you or kind of learn more about the types of things that you're doing, maybe you're hiring or just kind of wants to pick your brain about, you know, leadership, uh, leadership tracks and career tracks, what, how might people uh, be able to get in touch with you or, or uh, Twitter, Twitter is uh, probably like the easiest way to find me. I have a pretty unique name, so I'm, I'm easily uh, searchable, uh, which is kind of unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, so Twitter or LinkedIn are usually the easiest ways to find me. Twitter okay. probably be the, okay. the easiest. Okay, and we will get uh, we will get your Twitter hang- handle uh, in the in the show notes, so people can can easily kind of uh, if they want to reach out and make a comment or you know pick your brain, that would be great. Well, listen, thank you so much for the time today, folks. Um, you know, really enjoyed today's talk, folks. Thanks so much for always uh, you know telling a friend about the show, for rating and iTunes, and, and helping us grow the show. Uh, for Uma and for Aaron who couldn't be here today, thank you to everybody for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.